Hi, everyone. I'm Brad Harvison with PCT Magazine. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. I'm happy to have as my guest Maurice Termite Watkins. And a lot of folks in the pest control industry know termite from having worked in pest control, then also finding fame as a boxer and later coaching the Iraqi, Iraqi Olympic boxing team. So in our podcast today, we're going to learn about his incredible life journey and catch up on his latest endeavors. So Termite, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here with you. Good to see you. So uh, again, Termite, a lot of folks in the industry interested in you because of your involvement in pest control. Um, can you tell us about your family's pest control business? Yeah, you know, Brad, uh, almost 66 years ago, I was born. And I was born into the pest control business. And a friend of ours named Leon um, that worked for my dad, the day I was born, started calling me termite. And now, 66 years later, I'm still called termite. And um, that's all I go by. And tell us a little bit about growing up in a pest control business. Uh, when did you start to, to get involved and what all did you do? When I was five, six years old, I would, back in the day, we can't do this now, but uh, I would actually crawl under the houses with my dad, my grandpas, both my grandparents were, uh, my grandpa, both my grandpas were in the business. Uh, my grandma was uh, the secretary. And uh, anyway, we would crawl under the houses and I would, they would have me pulling the hose uh, when I was six years old. And so, you know, I was, I would put granules out at, you know, six, seven, eight years old. I put granules out for them. And, and uh, you know, we don't do that now, but we could, we did back then. Yeah. And uh, so the business, uh, Champions Exterminating out of Houston, um, tell us a little bit about that business. Why do you think it was successful for so long? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my dad started the company 66, 67 years ago. My dad has passed. My brother has taken over the company. Um, we were a family-owned, family-operated. Uh, we kept my dad kept it that way. He didn't want it to get too big and didn't want it to get too small. But um, I think it was successful because uh, my dad. Uh, he was a uh, man. He'd drive you. You know, he would. Uh, he worked, worked, worked. Uh, but being all of us in the family, and we all fell in love with the business. It's a business that you can fall in love with. And we did as a family and it just, it was just us. It was part of our family. And so, um, we, but we knew it well, we worked it well. And uh, we were as a family serious about killing bugs. Yeah. And then switching gears a little bit, um, tell us about how you got involved in boxing. So when I was 10 years old, um, I, I was getting into trouble and uh, doing things I shouldn't at 10 years old. And, and so somebody told my dad, said, uh, Bill, uh, if you'll get him into boxing, you know, it'll help get rid of that energy, that excess energy he has. And so my, the opportunity came uh, for my dad to get me in boxing, and he did. Excuse me. And I love to tell the story. The, the first day that I put boxing gloves on, there was two uh, twin brothers and the man's son that came to my dad's house. 
and uh, his name was Joe Dove. His son was Randy Dove. Then he had Ronald and Donald Carr. And they put the gloves on me with each one of the twin brothers, and they beat the devil out of me. All right, they whipped me like they owned me. Then the man put them on his son, which was the best fighter. And he just went around, boom, boom, and just, you know, box circles around me, whipped me. And he goes, yeah, Bill, I think he's going to make it. And I thought as a kid, what does he think I'm going to make? A punching bag? <laughs> that night, we went and we weighed in for a tournament starting the next night. I weighed in at 65 pounds. And the next night I fought and I got beat again. And so that's four days. I got, you know, four, I mean, two days, four whippings. But the next week I, I lost that tournament. The next week I fought and I won and victory is sweet. Everybody should taste victory. And, um, but then a week later I fought the guy that beat me the first time and he beat me again. And then my dad got me a good, a coach, a good teacher. His name was Kenny Weldon. And he, um, Kenny was a good communicator. And, you know, we can kind of relate this to business. He was a good communicator. He was a good teacher. I was a good student. I learned. And, man, I went on to win like 65 amateur fights straight uh, without losing ended up having a record of, uh, as an amateur, you know, I lost four of them right at the first. And then, but in my whole career, I had 128 amateur wins, uh, 10 amateur losses. At 16, I was the youngest to make the U.S. Olympic team, one of the teams, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, and that kind of segues yeah, into my next question. Looking back at your career, I mean, uh, is there any kind of fights or any kind of moments that stand out as, as real career highlights for you in boxing? Yes, sir. You know, when I was 16 years old, I won nationals. And that was huge because it had never been done before at 16. Now, to kind of let you know what kind of competition is in nationals, um, <clears throat> Sugar Ray Leonard was there. He got runner up. Howard Davis was there, who won the gold medal. Tommy Hearns was there. Um, oh, there's a couple other big ones that I can't think of right now, but a great competition. So I won nationals at 16, and it had not been done before. But I ended up turning professional at 17 because I protested against a certain group that was involved in the Olympics at that time. I protested because they were doing things they shouldn't have. And so I ended up turning pro at 17 years old instead of going to the Olympics. Yeah. And then um, tell us about your, your journey after that. When you retired, when did you retire from boxing and where did you go from there? Don't remember the year, but I fought for the world championship in 1980. Uh, in 1980, I lost a 15-round decision, all right, is when the biggest card in history till today, it uh, just under 2.5 billion people watched that fight. It's when Muhammad Ali, you ever heard that guy? Yeah, I've heard him. <laughs> uh, Muhammad Ali fought Larry Holmes, 
I've and heard of him too. Double main event. Yeah. I fought uh, Saul Mambi. It was a double main event uh, that night. That was Muhammad Ali's last fight. And so, um, um, and I forgot where I was. Go Please excuse me. I forgot where I was going with that. I got so much I want to tell you. What yeah. can I say? <laughs> but that was the big highlight of my life is when I fought for the world championship. Uh, I took off. You know, I can't tell you all the good without telling you the bad, too. Yeah. Uh, I got involved in some things after I fought for the world championship that I shouldn't have been involved in. And they cost it cost me dearly when I should have been fit, uh, fighting for another world title. I was messing up. I was introduced to drugs. And uh, so for a five year period, I was doing that. But I am a Christian. I got my heart right with God and I quit the drugs. I walked away and have never done a drug since. And um, so anyway, you know, I, I just had to throw that in because um, a lot of times it's easy to talk about all the good. I got a whole bunch of good to talk about, but I want people to learn from my bad. You know, when you do drugs, it'll catch up with you. There's a cost you pay for doing stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, what do you think was the difference that really helped you turn your life around and get off drugs? Um, a couple of things. Uh, one, um, I, I being a Christian, I'm not going to preach to you, but I uh, had a, a God that I could go to. All right. Um, another thing, I had my ex-wife. Uh, I thank God for her because she says, either you quit or it's us, many her and the kids. And that scared me. She was a strong woman and I didn't want to lose my family. And so one day I quit cold turkey and um, never done it since. 30 something years ago and I haven't done it since. That's great. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. And then well, and, uh, and I want to put this out. If there's people out there that's gotten involved in alcohol, you know, that's the biggest drug we got um, or drugs or anything like that you can quit you can uh but it takes you need help i had to get help and i leaned on christ uh but i also had good friends that were honest to me mm -hmm. and uh so you can quit and i'm i'm available to help somebody out there you know i'm really easy to, termite watkins at yahoo.com if you have problems reach out to me you need to quit that's great. I appreciate that message, Termite. Um, Termite, the next thing I want to talk about is your, your time in Iraq, um, doing pest control and then working with the Iraqi uh, boxing Olympic team. Um, how did the opportunity to do the, the work in Iraq come about? Okay. <clears throat> I was in the car business. Uh, I had gotten out of the pest control business because so much family, it's good and bad with family. And um, I could only make a certain amount of money uh, working with a lot of family and I wanted to make more. And so I went into the car business and I did outstanding. I mean, I just, you know, I, I hit a grand slam in the car business. I was good at what I did because I took care of customers. I took care of people. Um, but 
One day I was riding home one night, coming home from work, and God laid it on my heart. This is a message. I believe God speaks to us in different ways, but I had a feeling, and it was almost like a little tugging at me, that it was my time to do my part. And in Iraq, that's when the war was starting. Uh, I heard they needed pest control people. And so I signed up. I didn't understand the, my time to do my part. I, I wasn't understanding about that, but that's the message I kept getting. So I ended up going to Iraq and um, in pest control. I was the first exterminator in Iraq. Now there was uh, superintendents that were over me in pest control, but I was the first one to go and kill bugs as a pest control person. Uh, <clears throat> so I went to Iraq, I did that. Um, and the way the boxing, if I may go filter into it, the way that it came in, I was, um, I went there to kill bugs. I met a general on my first day in Iraq. And I reported in because they were having a major fly problem and some other problems. And I went to check in with this general and he cussed me and he cussed me out. And I really took a stand because I believe that people need to take a stand at the right time in the right way and for the right reasons. And I just told the guy, uh, I said, you know, general, uh, I didn't come here to get cursed out. I think you should probably send me back home to America. I said, and I did say this. I said, sir, if you curse me again, we're probably going to fight and you're probably not going to win. And he said, where are you from, boy? And I said, I'm from Texas. And he says, you might know it'd be a crazy Texan that would take a stand against a general. I said, where are you from? He said, San Antonio. <laughs> and so he was from Texas too. He gave me this chore on getting rid of some flies that I, I didn't really have anything to, I had maybe two ounces of a scatter bait. A scatter bait, we know you use pounds and pounds of it to hand scatter everywhere. I had two ounces. And, but God gave me everything I needed to get rid of the problem. And we won't go into it right now unless you want me to. But anyway, I got rid of the problem. And um, anyway, go ahead. I'm, I'm getting off on some tangents. Sorry about that. No worries. No worries. Um, and then the, the Iraqi, Iraqi boxing Olympic team, I know that uh, you were instrumental in, in putting that together. Um, tell us how, how that came about. Okay, so I'm doing, I'm killing bugs. And one day, Mike Gefeller, who took the general spot. He actually come into a lunchroom I was in one day. I'd been working all night and uh, uh, he'd been, I'd been working all night and he came in and he goes, um, Mr. Watkins, may I have a talk with you? And I thought, I've heard this man talking to President Bush. This man was number three under President Bush. And I, I made a joke out of it. I was sitting at a plastic table in a lunchroom and I said, sure. He said, could I, you know, could, he wanted to talk. I said, sure, have a seat in my office. And so he sat down at my table and I said, how can I help you? He said, what are the odds of getting the country of Iraq to the Olympics? Because I had already started training 
general civilians on hitting bags and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, our government asked me to do that. Our men were under a lot of stress. And so I was training men, letting them hit heavy bags and stuff. They asked me, what are the odds of getting the country of Iraq to the Olympics? I said, you got a maybe one in a million. And Mr. Gafella put his hand down and slammed it down. He said, great, all we need is one. We don't need a million. He says, what do you need? And I said, money. He said, great, we got it. What else you need? I said, I don't have a boxing team. I don't have any. He said, you're going to go from pest control as of today. You're now the Olympic boxing coach. I've never been an Olympic boxing coach. and and uh, But you see, I believe that when you're doing what God wants you to, he'll put you in positions and help make you successful. I literally walked out of the office, that the lunchroom, that day, my office, the lunchroom, and there was some men talking, and they said they had already heard that I'd become the Olympic boxing coach. And so, I mean, word spreads fast when you're in a base. And we're sitting there talking. I said, yeah, but I don't know, you know, I don't have any boxers. I don't have a boxing gym. I don't have anything. All of a sudden, one of the interpreters started jumping up and down. He goes, I can help. I can help. And I said, how can you help? His name was, um, oh gosh, I think Sawa. And uh, anyway, um, he says, my uncle is the president of the uh, Iraqi boxing team. Uh, and, I, and I said, you know, what are the chances yeah. of that? You know, and um, so that's how, that's how it yeah. started. And then a lot of countries helped us. And um, that's how it started. And then um, tell us a little bit, I, I, I can't really recall, but um, how, how did your, your boxers end up faring? Um, you know, it, first of all, talk maybe a little bit about, the, about how they, they kind of improved and, and built themselves into Olympians and how did they end up faring in the Olympics? Okay, they had not been to the Olympics in like 20, 25 years, something like that. And uh, so I had an interpreter and we had a box off. We went around the country and got the top boxers. We come back, we let them fight it out to see who was going to go to the Olympics or, or who was going to go uh, fight on the Olympic team. And um, we had box off because I, uh, prior to that, Saddam Hussein would pick and say, you're going, you're going. Well, I didn't want it to be that way. I, we wanted every, we wanted to be democratic and let people vote on who should go and let people win. So we picked a team of, I think it was 11 boxers, 20-something uh, people totally on the team, but 11 boxers. And uh, that's how the team started. And uh, then, we, then we had some things to overcome, like – and. Uh, the Olympic, the U.S., I mean, yeah, the U.S. Olympic, I mean, I'm sorry, the World Olympic Committee, uh, they wouldn't let Iraq in the Olympics. I called 60 days straight. I either called them or emailed them 60 days straight, and they turned me down 60 days straight, and um, so finally, I got somebody on the, on the, the phone, and I said, you know, uh, they deserve an opportunity. Iraq 
you know, these are, they're not the ones that, they're not Saddam Hussein. They deserve an opportunity. And then one of the guys said, you're right. If you can win one of these tournaments, you can go. So then we had to go fight in the tournaments. Right. And I'm getting off. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead and bring a, me that, back in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. And then so from the tournaments, how, uh, talk about that a little bit. How were you, how were you able to advance to the tournaments and make the Olympics? So great question. So we went to um, the first tournament was in, pa uh, no, I'm sorry, um, Palawan. Uh, Palawan on one of the islands and um, but to get to Palawan we had to go to Kuwait. Kuwait said that uh, they wouldn't let us come through there. They didn't allow Iraqis to come in to Kuwait. Well I believe that God puts us places and that the people we need for our success are always right around us and so one day I, uh, I'm with the military. We're going to a stop. I had my bodyguards and uh, I walk into a, um, a, a, a sporting goods store and there is a Kuwaiti and you could tell he was very prominent and he had his arms crossed and he was speaking perfect English to a group of men. So it caught me off guard and, you know, I do what any other person would do. I walked right up to him. I said, who are you? What do you do? And where'd you learn how to speak English? He says, I am Sheikh Fahad, answered everything. He was the family, like our president, their emir, he was family of the emir, brothers or whatever. Wow. So he, they ran the country. So he was the one, and he's, he was also the president of the Kuwaiti Olympic Committee. And so he was the exact person that could let me into the country. I asked him 10 times if I could bring the country in. And he said, no, 10 times. But I asked him one more time. And I said, you know, these guys deserve, the, this is your bloodline. They deserve an opportunity. And to my amazement, he says, you're right. They are my bloodline. They do deserve an opportunity. And he made it possible for the Iraqis to come in there. And so then we went. Then I found out how corrupt uh, the International Olympic Committee is. And I say that very boldly. And uh, there was a man that was run the, uh, he, he run it, he was like the godfather, you know, he was corrupt. And uh, we were in Palawan and um, we fought, we won, but we didn't get the decision. We didn't win the decision. So, uh, that was our first experience of fighting in an international Olympic competition, and it was corrupt. We come back, and we didn't know what we were going to do because it was so corrupt. So then we had to go to China, and they tried to stop us from going to China, but we made it. Now, this is the Olympic, Iraqi Olympic team, and this man was there, Anwar Chowdhury was there again, and corrupt. We won fights. And he wanted me to pay him money and whiskey and women. And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't stoop. And um, anyway, we didn't get the decision again. So then we got one more contest that we had the opportunity to go to the Olympics. And it was in Pakistan. So we go to Pakistan. It's our last opportunity. We fight. 
we look good. We win the fights, but we didn't get the decision again. We look good. We they cheated us out of the decision. We um, I thought it was over, and so uh, matter of fact, it, it should have been. But our God is good. So I'm so now I'm thinking everything's over. I go back to Iraq, and one day I'm riding around one of the army bases, and the phone rings. And it's the uh, a British colonel, and he says, Termite, get here quick, get here quick. He goes, you're going to the Olympics. And I said, how? We didn't win the contest. He goes, "You, I made so much of a ruckus with this guy that was corrupt. I told people to watch him. He was evil. And I told about him on the TV, on the radios, on the newspaper. He said, he's reaching out, trying to be your friend. And he's giving you a wild card. I said, well, what, does, what is a wild card? He says, not only do you get to bring the uh, boxing team, he goes, you've opened the door for the whole country of Iraq. And uh, I, I said, uh, you know, fantastic. And so now we get to go to the Olympics. The whole country does That's in amazing. every sport. That's amazing. And uh, and then how did you guys end up doing? How did they fare in the Olympics? Okay. First boxing match. We win. We look fantastic. They couldn't rob us of a decision. Second fight. We fight. I think we win, but it was very close. All right. The first one, we knocked the guy out. So they couldn't take it from us. Uh, the second fight was very close and we lost to the decision. Soccer team won four out of its first five times. Um, but at that time, I realized it wasn't about winning. It was about we had we had accomplished what our goal was. They raised the flag, the Olympic flag for Iraq. So now Iraq can come back to the Olympics all the time. So we accomplished that. Uh, but it wasn't about winning at that point. We had already won. Uh, it was about being there. That's how we won. Absolutely. Hey, have you kept in touch with any of the guys that you trained? One, one of them I do. Huh. A, a couple of them, but one of them particular. The one boxer, Najah Ali. He and I talk every few months now. We talk by phone or we text or email. And uh, he actually is in... Um, Oh, forgive me. I just went. He's in Europe. He's in Europe. He's in London. Uh, we had to get him out of there because when we went to back, they were trying to kill me, the bad guys, and uh, they were trying to kill him. And uh, so he went to London. I came home. Okay. Gotcha. Amazing experience. And then uh, I want to talk about after that. Um, what did you do when you returned back uh, to the U.S.? Um, I started an, um, an amateur boxing team. Mm -hmm. um, well, I didn't start it right then. I went back to work, did a bunch of stuff, wasn't, wasn't real happy. You know, I wasn't sure what to do. So I just worked. And, uh, but, but when I came back, and this will segue in to the movie in a little bit, yeah. if I may, yeah. because I need to, when I first came, when I was over in Iraq, 
they approached us about movies about the story. All right. Mm -hmm. And when I came, but I turned Hollywood down at that time. So I came back, had some other movie offers. I turned them down because they weren't offering me the right deal. They weren't, they wanted to have scenes that weren't appropriate. And, um, and I'm hard-headed. I take a stand. And I want to tell everybody, get some backbone. When you got to stand up and when you have to, when it's a time that you as a person needs to stand up, get backbone. That's what this country was built over is men and women with backbone. And so I urge everybody, take a stand in the right way when you need to. All right. So bring me back in. What was the question? Yeah. Just curious as, as to when you return stateside, um, what have you been doing? And then uh, I also want to make we talk, make sure we talk about your COVID experience, but we'll get to that in a sec. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of what you've been doing since you returned stateside. Okay, so for I've been back 18 years now. Um, I've worked. I'm, uh, um, I'm in business for myself. I work in chemical plants and in refineries. Uh, and I speak all over the country on safety. I speak on motivational. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, go to termitewatkins at yahoo.com and email me. Um, and uh, But we've also been uh, trying to get the movie done. Yeah. And um, may I go into that now? Is it a good Real quick, time? before we jump into that, um, okay. can you talk about your COVID experience? I know, I know okay. uh, it's pretty serious there. Can you, you talk, talk a little bit about that? Yes, sir. Uh, so about two, almost a little over two years ago, I came in from a business trip and um, me and my granddaughter were out feeding my chickens. And uh, uh, she, actually she was only a year and a half old, but she liked to go with me out to feed my chickens. And, you know, and, and, uh, and, and one day I squat down and I couldn't hardly get back up and I wasn't feeling right. So I come in and literally that night I had to be rushed to the emergency room. I couldn't breathe. They sent me home and cause I'd had the COVID test. And I didn't have the results. And they said, if your oxygen blood level gets below, I think it was 90 or 85 or 90, they said, come back in immediately. Mine dropped down to 45, which is lethal. And they rushed me in and I went on the ventilator for 18 days. So I was on the ventilator for 18 days in the hospital for 30 days. Uh, but by the grace of God, I lived yeah. and uh, I lived to tell about it and um, I'm over it. Uh, me and my wife, my wife was uh, Cindy, was my my biggest supporter. She was on her knees every day praying for me and I lived yeah. and um, yeah. and where a lot of people didn't. And so now I get to talk to people and help people that's maybe been sick with uh, COVID. My wife gets to talk to people. People call her from all over the country. How did you handle this? And she gets to help people. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for asking about that. 
All right. So definitely want to know about the, the new biopic. So I understand it, it's Sylvester Stallone's production company, Balboa Productions, and they're working on the biopic. Um, can you tell us about um, you know, how, the, how the movie came about and where it stands now? 18 years ago when I was in Iraq, um, they actually approached me while I was in Iraq. And I'd just been turning people down because they just didn't want to give me anything, you know, money-wise. They didn't want to give me any, you know, percentages. And they wanted to have cursing, and filthy talk, and filthy scenes. And I'm just real big about taking a stand. Sylvester contacted me. His uh, Braden, his CEO, um, contacted uh, my producers, uh, John, uh, John and Stefan, uh, about two years ago, something like that. And we made a deal. They made me a great financial offer, a great percentage. Uh, they actually become, we all become partners. And then I got sick. And so it was, it was uh, delayed. And uh, then I had to, when I got sick, I didn't tell you this, but I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't even walk. And uh, so anyway, it was, it was um, delayed, but um, we are, they wrote the script a few, several months back, several months back. Uh, they gave me a list of actors to pick from. I'll tell you that in a minute. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. And uh, so uh, we redid the script. The script came back. It was a good, in the fact of the storyline was great, but it had a lot of cursing. And it was just filthy talking. And so me and my wife, we took our stand. Yeah. And we said, no, this is not going to happen. And so Balboa and Braden specifically, um, Braden, the CEO, said, you know, Termite will take 90% of the cursing out, which I couldn't ask for anymore. Right. And uh, so they're taking some bad scenes, 90% of the cursing out. Um, they're having to redo the whole script. That's been actually a couple of months ago. Okay. And uh, we we think that the, the script will be back as quick as next week. Okay. We're hoping it could be longer because when they took all the cursing out, they had to rewrite the whole thing. Okay. And um, so that's what they're doing. Um, as of right now, they're still talking production uh, in the second quarter of this next coming year. So it's coming quick. Uh, that could change. I'm learning with Hollywood, everything changes. <laughs> and uh, uh, so um, um, we're redoing the script. They've got a director in mind. That'll be the next step. I can't think of her name, but she was the director for Coda. It was a movie about a, um, a girl, her family was all deaf. And uh, she, they won all, she won all kinds of accolades, the producers, the lady. Um, that's who I think they're going to talk to. Okay. Uh, and then hopefully she'll be able to. Uh, and then they've given me a list of 12 actors. And uh, now I'm bragging. Uh, 
but it was actors like um, Brad Pitt, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Bradley Cooper, Mark Wahlberg, um, many other ones, uh, and they're all good. And I just won't, I mean, they're all great. But uh, anyway, um, we, we are leaning towards Matthew McConaughey. I haven't told everybody that because we haven't contacted him yet. But I do know, but I am friends with Matthew's brother, Rooster. Yeah. I'm real good friends with him. And um, from what I understand, Matthew loves the story and um, would like to do it, but he wants to see the script. And then it's got to fall into his timeline. And if he can't, we'll go to one of the other, any of them that they put. Josh Brolin was another one. Uh, Josh Brolin, uh, but but you know we'll just go down the line and see who's available because there's not a bad actor there. Yeah, you know that's, they're that's all class A actors. Yeah, that's an amazing. And then uh, think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Thanks to Balboa Productions, and I and I, I say Balboa because it's a whole team. I don't want to just say uh, Stallone because it's Balboa Productions. But thanks to Balboa Production, they've already got financing. And uh, this could be a big movie. It could be 20 million up to 40, 45 million. And uh, it will be for the big screen. Uh, they, uh, the CEO of Braden has made me feel really, really good uh, because they've got, all they needed was an hour and a half of content for the movie. And they've got four to five hours of content. Yeah. And so now they're already talking to me about sequels. Wow. And so it, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And I got to tell everybody, this is in pest control. We're talking, you know, PCT. Yeah. The movie right now, this, this could change. As of right now, the movie is called Termite. Oh, very cool. All right, either termite or they call me termite. That's either one of them. <clears throat> and um, so I think our pest control industry is yeah. fixing to get some well-deserved recognition. The last thing I had for you, uh, you know, kind of uh, looking at your, your career from pest control to, uh, you know, pest control to, as we mentioned before, pest control to, a boxer to boxing coach. Now you're into film. I mean, what's kind of the, the, the final message you, you want to get out there to folks who, who might be tuning in? Thank you for asking me that. Um, I have a saying, you can always find a way. So um, have a business card that says you can always find a way. And so if, um, you, you know, if you're building a company, if you're looking for a position, if there's something you want to do in life, you can always find a way. Don't let people stop you. Don't let circumstances stop you. That's the difference of some people rise to the top because they find a way. And anybody out here can do what I've done. You just got to find a way and you can do it. Don't let anybody steal your dreams. And remember this, 
everybody you need for success is always right around you. Sometimes you just got to reach out and say, hey, my name is Termite Watkins, and who are you? And this worked for me all the way in Kuwait, Iraq, uh, Palawan, uh, all over Pakistan, uh, China, everywhere I went. I just found out that I had to reach out and say, my name is Termite, and who are you? And the people will just amazingly show up in many cases that you need. Sometimes it, you can be the one to help them. It goes both ways. <clears throat> and then probably one of the last things, there's really a lot of things I like to say, but one of the last thing is that if you're really wanting to be successful, help somebody, be a servant. I became a servant when I went to Iraq. I wanted to serve. You know, what I didn't tell you, I killed flies, I killed I rid snakes. I even had to be a poop remover. You know, they we would have to take big 55-gallon drums that were cut in half, that were full of poop, and I would take it off and vomit. Sometimes you got to do things you don't want to get where you want to be. Yeah. And I have a weak stomach, and they assigned me to that. And, uh, and I did that for our military and I would do it again. If you want to be successful, become a servant for other people. And then you can always find a way. Great final words. Well, Termite, thank you again for uh, being with us today and sharing your amazing, incredible uh, life journey. And I think I can speak for other folks in the pest control industry. We're really looking forward to following um, how this movie production goes and uh, seeing where that takes us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just got to tell you, at heart, I'm a pest control person. Yeah. I love the pest control industry. It's really helped get me where I'm at. And I love the industry. It's the, one of the... I think it's one of the greatest industries in the world. And so be proud when you say, I'm in the pest control industry, be proud. I am.